Hello, we are back for another episode of Don't Ruin This For Me, a podcast where we ruin all the things you used to love. Elizabeth, let me ask you, how do you feel about wire hangers? I hate them. Really? I hate them. As a matter of fact, when I pick up my one blouse, because you know I only have one blouse. Just the one. I think I gave it to you. <laughs> you, you definitely gave it to me. There's no question. Actually, I, have, I guess I have two blouses, one that never needs dry cleaning uh-huh. that you also gave to me. Oh, good. <laughs> one that needs dry cleaning and when I go to get them dry cleaned yes um, which I don't usually do yes uh, I always ask them to not put them on the hangers to fold them because I do not want them uh, coming back to my house however yes I do not hate wire hangers so badly that I would beat a child with one (laughs) listen I guess that's good news and hey everybody's already guessing this week we are covering Mommy Dearest this 1981 movie starring Faye Dunaway's Joan Crawford is absolute queer canon on its face it's a story about an aging Hollywood starlet trying to raise her adopted children while managing her career and love yeah, she is a <laughs> she is a lover, but it's actually not about that, right? No. It's actually about the memoir of Joan's uh, first adopted daughter, Christina Crawford, mm-hmm. where she spills the beans about her mother, who is a narcissist, abusive, alcoholic, yeah. <laughs> with gray clothes. Yes, and I would argue that it's more a series of related scenes than a cohesive like a cohesive <laughs> film. There's like no real plot, but I don't care of course because not. Uh, the acting is legendary. The costumes are RuPaul worthy and the one liners unforgettable. Unforgettable. And speaking of RuPaul, right after watching this film, I had to go back and watch the Snatch Game with Alyssa Edwards as Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford and Mommy Durris because honestly, Alyssa is my Joan always and forever. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, fellas. Joining us this week is the wonderful David Serta. David is a co-founder and artistic director of Helena Handbag Productions, a theatrical group formed to celebrate and preserve the art of high camp. And if that isn't enough, he's also the lead singer in the band The Jones. So obviously he's the absolute perfect guest for this week's episode. Also, I'm obsessed with David. I know, I know. It's true. Elizabeth did a show with him at Printer's Row, and I was like, go talk to him. Go make friends. Because And I did. I did it. I you did, did it for her. <laughs> yes, because like 10 years ago, I saw David in Miracle, uh-huh. which is still, I saw that show three times. I kept bringing, <laughs> wow. pe- I thought it was so fucking funny and like so touching. I brought like everyone I know. I was like, you've got to come with me to Miracle. <laughs> oh, and I really want you, you to bring it back, even though I know it's probably like 10 I, years later tough, but. Yeah, we, we've talked about it. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah, I would love it. I would never I mean, saw it. And it's funny because when uh, we met, we met at Printer's Row, you and I, David. Mm-hmm. And um, Adrian was like, David Zerta's here. And I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Which one is he? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're definitely making friends with David Zerta. Right. And then she was, she was like, but you know, it's funny because you and I have only met that one time. Right. And I feel like actually that we have like a connection yeah it's weird right yeah and i can't even explain it well i think he was judging you at that contest he was was. he was the famous city judge and you were the 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 law and order porn (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's what the connection right there's nothing i love more than murder yes adrian tell me what you've been up to this week not much. I mean, again, with the love is blind and reading books. I'm reading the new Curtis Sittenfeld book, which is about SNL. I wonder if our producer, Christine's going to get in on that. She likes a little, you know, improv comedy behind the scenes <laughs> moment. What about you? Me? Uh, I've been really obsessed with watching Swarm. Oh, which, yeah. Yeah. That, that movie. Is it th- good? It's 
It starts off, the first episode scared the crap out of me just because the first scene is her, is the main character in bed and all you hear is bzzz. It's like all the buzzing of the bees. Uh-huh. And my like skin started crawling. So I had to turn it off. And I am a horror fan. Like I love horror. I love murder stories. I'm all into it. And it scared me so much that I like turned it off and I had to wait a couple of days before <laughs> I turned it back on. Well, you know, that's the title of the Irwin Allen disaster movie, The Swarm. Yes. With Olivia de uh, Havilland as the school principal. Yeah, Ooh. I don't know when I last saw that movie. I mean, that it's, was that's classically old. Right? Well, she yes. she does an, an announcement at the school on the PA system. Attention, students, attention. There is a swarm of killer bees headed <laughs> our way. Oh my God, you're going to be so good for this episode. Um, yes. I definitely uh, thought that the, I think the acting is really interesting. Each story is kind of very interesting. It's op- it's actually about fandom, which um, is, is completely uh, a new territory for me. Next to, well, there was a fan, I think, had come out a while back with um, Patton Oswalt. Wasn't that he the fan? Do you guys remember that one? I thought you were talking about swim fan. No. <laughs> oh, and I'm going way back. I'm like with Lauren Bacall <laughs> in the 70s. Like, never mind. Yeah, but anyways, uh, I'm super obsessed with that. I've been very much into listening to Tyler Childers, who is a country uh, musician. Oh, that shit. I've been like, I've oh, been hoedowing in my own house. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised. And, and mostly like focusing on the century that I'm trying to do. So, um, Well, people don't know what that means. She's riding yes. a bicycle. She's going to ride 100 miles in one day across Virginia. Yeah, from Richmond to Jamestown and Jamestown to Richmond. Yes. And hopefully I make it, but you, you know. My motto is... What made you think of this? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Why do people run marathons? Yeah, you know, it's uh, Adrian and I have uh, a bike team called Team Tough Muff. Mm-hmm. Where we do like we're like middle aged people just David riding shocked. long distance. I think that's why we have a. I love this. Yeah. So it's never like how fast we get anywhere. Just make sure that we make it. Sure. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, we never get anywhere fast. Yes. No. <laughs> we're very slow and old. I mean, she. It may take her ten hours to finish the century, yeah. but she'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figure um, my life motto is you can always quit. Yeah. <laughs> It is her life motto. Yes. She taught it to me. Yeah, it's 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 the greatest, most freeing thing to do because then you can always try anything, right? Because right. at the end of the day, you can just quit unless you're mid bungee jumping. Then you can't quit. Right? Then you're in <laughs> it. Then you're in it. Then you're in it. All right. Let's talk okay. about the recap. Let's, let's do it. I've, I'm get, we're going to focus a lot of time on this opening scene because wow. this opening scene, hmm. David, yes. is remarkable. Yes. Right? So. We have the alarm going off. Yep. And Joan is in bed and you don't see her face yet. No. She is just like coming out of bed and you can tell that she has this elastic band kind of thing. What do well, you Well, she's holding is? her fucking face together. <laughs> right. what, what do you mean? It's, what do I think it is? Quarter chin. She's, yes. Where can we get one of those? I think I want one. I don't no. know that they work, but you know, it's the pre-botox, <laughs> right. like pre-filler era, so she's doing she's got her face like elasticized in a thing. Yes. And then she walks into her bathroom and starts making coffee. <laughs> Yes. Yes. She has a coffee maker in her bathroom. Smart. Amazing. Yeah. And she pulls out a bowl of ice, puts it on top of the um, counter, pours in what, a tonic maybe? I thought for a moment maybe it was gin. No, no. That's (laughs) what a lot of people think. I think it's supposed to be mineral water or something like that. And then she like puts ice on her face and she sprinkles and then she like scrubs the heck out of all of her skin, like all of her skin, her hands, her arms, her elbows. Um, And then she showers and dresses. Mm -hmm. And I thought this scene, I was like, I have seen the scene a million, million times. 
and every single time it just grabs me <laughs> right away. Mm. <laughs> that tells you who she is. Yes. Right. Well, I, I want to know what your opinion about the opening is because you are famous for your skincare routine. Can you tell? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, Glowing. I do love a skincare routine. Mine is not this intense. I mean, especially she has like you know, a hard bristle brush that she's like <laughs> on her nails. Like that's a lot. You know, yeah. my, my cuticles couldn't handle that. But I do <laughs> subscribe to a nine step skincare routine that I so yeah, I respect it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, I think you even texted me, you're like, this skincare routine. Yeah, I was like, this is intense. I mean, I'm not doing the ice thing because I also have I seem to have more red in my skin than Joan. So yeah. my whole face would be red after. <laughs> I don't know. Her face looks very white in the movie. But um, then after her like incredible skincare routine, yes. we get snapshots of her. She is an actress. Yes. So she's got a script. She's got a meeting. She's got a moment where she's getting dressed up. She's for got a show. servants to yell at. Yep. <laughs> she comes home. She yells at her servants, establishing the fact that she's obviously very OCD about her cleaning. Mm-hmm. You know, because her mother has. Uh, but I, she alludes to the fact that her mother was very messy and very dirty. Um, and uh, then we have. Have her boyfriend who enters the chat. Greg. Greg. <laughs> Do you Greg. want to pick it up from there? Greg's ready for a shower fuck. <laughs> and that's what Greg's ready for. He comes in, he has a little, you know, he takes his top off, he has a little towel. They get into the large shower. You know, there's a lot of attention paid to the water turning on from separate. Yeah, there's like three yeah. heads there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite part is when he walks in and she's like, You have to take off your shoes. And he's like, um, What about my socks? And she like looks at him with this like very like raw yes. sexy look, and she's like, "I think I can handle the socks." <laughs> she's a maniac. I was like, "This movie is so great." I mean, the whole time I'm just like, "This movie is so great." Okay, then um, after Greg enters this chat, uh, basically <laughs> we see a scene of um, Joan, and she's giving gifts to orphans because you know that's what she does. Yes, and then she decides she it's wants very to have- performative. Everything, yes. you know, mm. she's like, everybody look at me. I'm giving gifts to orphans. Isn't this lovely? It's for the studio. <laughs> yes, for the studio. <laughs> and then she, and she um, thinks, you know what? I should get an orphan yes. of my own. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love that too, because like then the next scene is like her and Greg are watching, like walking on the beach. Again, no cohesiveness, no right. like it doesn't move, movement into it. it. Just happens. And uh, he, she says that she wants to have a kid, and he's like, "You're too old to get pregnant." And I was like, "Savage." Well, he tells her she's too vain to get pregnant. Oh yeah, first, vain, right. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> even <right>. worse. <laughs> Greg's whole role in this movie is just to remind her how old she is. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like, you're old. <laughs> She's like, no matter, go get me a baby. And because he's a lawyer, he does. <laughs> from the Jewish mafia. Yes. yes. So they got it. Yes. I was like, where'd this baby come from? All right, we're just going to keep rolling. Well, and then Christopher, maybe, you know, David's going to know the answer to this. Why is Christopher always in a harness? Why is he always strapped because to shit? Because he... Um, sleepwalked okay and he would go out of bed and like they were afraid he's gonna fall down the steps okay oh I didn't so know they that. so they strapped him in he's like because even when he's a baby and she's showing him off at like the press thing he's got this fucking harness on <laughs> well yeah because then we end up at christina's uh birthday party mm-hmm. she's like she's a, a young lady a little a little girl and um that's where we're introduced to christopher uh-huh. and this is the first moment that we notice something's really wrong with joan <laughs> Because in her mother, right? Christina has like a grass stain on her dress, mm, and one of the photographers. I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the 
the uh, the photographer who's taking a picture of the whole family is like, that grass stain's going to show. And Christina's like, I'm going to go change. And her mother is like irritated because her mother has said, you don't have to go change. Right. And she's decided to go change. And because uh, Christina has begun to defy her. Uh-huh. None, we don't have room for that. Faye Dunaway gives the best side eye <laughs> I've ever seen on in movies. As in like, you little fucking bitch, I will kill you. And Jimmy got, it might read Miss Crawford. Yeah. She yeah. Goes, <laughs> All right. It might read. And I was like, oh, Joan is not nice at no, all. No, no, no. Yeah. And then after that, um, there we're at the we're at the end of the party because you know all this has happened. And at the end of the party, um, Christina is looking at her dolls. Yeah. Right. Or her gifts, her presents. Yeah. And yeah. Joan says. What she's like, you can keep one present, right? And then yeah. Greg walks in. <laughs> Greg walks in with a bracelet, and she's like, "Oh, I can't have it." Yeah. And Joan is like, "Well, you can have that, maybe." Well, poor Christina. You know, this actress, this haircut, this wig. Like, you know, she's really irritating. <laughs> Because she's also, you know, like, oh, mommy, dearest, can't I keep this doll? No, I'll give it to the orphans. You know, you're just like, shut the fuck up, Christina. Oh, I also like it when she's like, mommy, dearest. And um, Joan Crawford is like, and when I asked you to call me that, I wanted you to mean it. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking good. Okay. So then after the birthday party, what do we get? Do we get um, Joan? Who knows? Jo- <laughs> Joan's complaining to Greg because she can't get a role. And he's oh, yeah. like, what's happening? It's, we, you know, like we got to, we're going to go and try to meet the, the yeah. old mayor guys, right? And then we see um, Joan, she's jogging. And oh, yes, this is great. This she's is like, great. what she goes through. So her maid is driving a car alongside her while she drives. Very reminiscent of our Rocky movie yes. last week. I'm not sure why the maid is there other to, than to like roll down the window and be like, if people knew what you went through. <laughs> Fans, uh, fans knew the price you yes. paid. Yes, exactly. The mayor knew the price yes. I paid. <laughs> in a full sweatsuit just like sauna towel tucked inside yes Yes. running up a hill yes it's pretty amazing then she gets home and um she she gets this role she's so excited she's going to tell christina about it but christina is at joan's dressing table and she's acting (laughs) out like you know what i don't even remember what she's saying oh yes (laughs) it was thrilling my fans who have made me a star. And then she just keeps saying it over and over a different way. Oh, yes. Yeah, she's like a little girl who's like just, I mean, the thing about this scene, I have to say, is like so weird because what Christina is doing is actually very sweet, right? Like yeah. she knows her mother's an actress yeah. and she's like, you know, I'm going to be an actress and I'm going to play this like role that I am. And Joan does not <laughs> like it. She comes in and starts hacking her fucking hair off. <laughs> because she had setting lotion in yeah. it. <laughs> true <laughs> what did you do with your hair christina <laughs> christina's sobbing so it's the first kind of indication we get that you know the abuse is also going to be physical <laughs> yeah that side eye was like the tough. easy part yeah it's tough. then um we see joan going to dinner with greg and she's getting mobbed by all these people and then um he goes off to the table and goes into the restaurant and while he's in the restaurant he runs into mr mayor 
and they end up sitting with him. And Joan is so offended. She is offended. Yes. She's that not she a piece was of meat. Called to this table no. to have dinner at Mayor's table, and she cannot stand it. No. And God damn it, Greg, why did you let me like just leave me there with my mobs of fans? Mm. Right. So Greg dumps her. He's yes. like, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> And so then she cuts out all of Greg's faces and all her family photos. Mm-hmm. And then she puts them back in the frame with just like holes. And then Christina says, it's t- if she doesn't like you, she can make you disappear. <laughs> you know, she actually changed the toilets too, the toilet seats. Because they because he'd use them? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It wasn't in the film, but she would do that too. I love that. Thank God you're here. Yes. <laughs> And then we have another scene where Christina and Christopher are just being children. Yeah. <laughs> They're playing in the right. backyard. And Joan in her big, huge mansion in this mm-hmm. huge yard with a pool somehow has, has heard the children and cannot yes. handle it. No, she's And very she angry. brings Christina upstairs and she says to Christina, I told you how important today was. Mm. What did I say to you? <laughs> Yes. And Christina then goes back to her dolls and she like repeats the same kind of discipline to the dolls. But Joan has seen it <laughs> and she is not happy. And so Christina takes a shower. I love the scene. Christina goes, takes a shower, comes out. She's like wrapped in a towel. This cute little blonde girl comes to her mom. And she's like, my dolls are missing. And Joan <laughs> is on this white couch in a white robe with her hair up in this like white towel, yeah. rubbing, <laughs> rubbing her elbows with lotion and on uh, her arms. And she's just like looking at her daughter and she's like well they were selfish children anyway (laughs) (laughs) you're just like I just cannot get enough of this woman it's amazing and then uh, we find out that Joan gets let go from the studio she's not happy Mm. about it no she's not happy she's fired and for some reason is the next scene so she's like in the office with with Meyer and he's like you gotta go and then he gives her like an excuse or whatever she's gone and Now she's in a ball gown cutting rose bushes. <laughs> what? How else would you cut the rose bushes if you were having a meltdown? And I can't. I, the whole time, I'm just like, why is she in a ball gown? Why is she cutting rose bushes? How did we end up here? It's like, Christina, bring me the axe. Christina. <laughs> That she cuts a tree down. Yeah, I mean, well, the children are gotten out of bed to come down and, and assist. Collect, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. assist with the carnage of the rose bush. It's so weird. It's so weird. Then we get another scene where Christina is being told by Carrie, Carol Ann that um, the mom Joan has gotten the the, the role in uh, Mildred Pierce, which is. You know, great. That's great news. And then the next scene, the ne- and it's like so random. It's like it doesn't match the first scene, the scene before it, and the rose bush scenes, and it doesn't match the next one where they're sitting at lunch. It doesn't matter. It's just mm. a montage of life. Yes. And so she's having lunch with Christina. Christina does not want to eat her red meat. I don't know why parents are so obsessed with kids who are eating. I figure, like, if you don't want to eat it, fine. I'm not going to make you something. You can starve to death. Not my problem. Right. Yes. Yes. My mother. Yes. yes. You know. So- no, but this is old school. My parents did this shit. You'll yep. sit here. You'll sit here forever exactly it's not cool and um i you know so christina doesn't eat it there's this whole back and forth and it's off you know it's just awful it feels uncomfortable and you're just like you're just weird why are you why do you care you know you haven't let an oscar to to accept which she does while she has the flu yes from home (laughs) yes Yes. the flu quotation why didn't she go because she she was too terrified oh that she might lose yeah okay and then, of course, we move into the best scene of the film that's super, super iconic, which is, 
which is the no more wire hanger scene. I don't think I need to rehash that. You guys all have seen mm. it. Well, it's I don't know true. if people have seen it. I mean, she goes into the closet. Oh, so she awful. has all these puffy hangers. She gets to a wire one. She yells at Christina, no wire hangers ever. And then she beats the shit out of her while she's in a bed with a wire hanger. And it's and, not. And Clorox. Like, it, yeah. And it's not even a um, dry cleaner wire hanger. It looks to be a thick Mm-hmm. No, I mean she really beats the shit out of her. It's it's terrifying. Yeah, I would say that the the hardest part of that scene though is like when she tells after she like hits her with the hanger, she like beats her for like not cleaning the bathroom. Yeah. She has all these cleaning products over. Poor yeah. Christina is left in the bathroom like crying. Yes. Her her little blonde curls are dusted with mm-hmm. Ajax. Yes, her face and, and her face. And Christopher walks up to her in, like, his, in his harness, harness. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like. I'll help you. Right. And Christina looks at him and goes, don't just go back to bed. <laughs> she'll come for you. She'll kill you. Right. She'll kill you. <laughs> and it's, it is a scene that I just like, again, I love so, so, so much. But Christina later, like all this, she recovers from it. Now Joan has a new lover. His name's Uncle Ted. He does not like being called Uncle Ted and mm. has reminded Christina that. But Christina makes him a drink anyway. <laughs> And then she um, basically uh, brings brings him up to her mom's bedroom and things start happening between Joan and Ted. It's very creepy. They're right. making out. Then Christina comes back with more vodka for the mother. There's a lot of like significant stares. Mm-hmm. Yes. Christina's like, <laughs> I know what's going exactly. on. Exactly. And you know what? Joan wants to get that dick. And so Christina's going to boarding school. <laughs> She's out. You're out, bitch. Wait, then somehow she's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and she's at the boarding school. And she has a yes. southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Christina's in drama, following in her mother's footsteps, mm-hmm. and she is going to school. Everything is fine, but she's like also growing up and becoming like a person and realizes mm-hmm. that she has like sexual feelings. Mm-hmm. So she ends up making out with a guy in a barn. As you do. And gets expelled from school. Well, she doesn't get expelled. They said that she was just like going to be on a little like, you know, the the the, the chick, the headmaster is right. like, it's not that big of a deal. And Joan's like, you're all sluts and like takes her away. <laughs> right. So she, it, Joan expels her from the school. Yeah, pretty much. Is this, and, is this a, a school or a teenage brothel? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, and so then after they get out of school, uh, she's she's bringing her home and she's in the middle of a red book interview with a woman named Barbara. Barbara. And she tells uh, Barbara that Christina has gotten like expelled from school. And Christina was like, you're lying. And the mom, Joan and Christina get into this huge fight, which, by the way, I have to mention this part. Adrian loves to say that Legends of the Fall was her, was her sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. This is going to oh, yeah. this is this is. One of my sexual awakening when, moments. When yes. Joan Crawford when, mounts her daughter. When Joan Crawford, <laughs> when Joan Crawford is on top of her daughter strangling her, I remember being a little girl, being like looking at her, like the girl's like white panties, and uh-huh. she's like, scr- like moving her legs back and forth. Yeah. And I remember being like, yes, I remember being like, oh, that's really like kind of sexy. <laughs> okay, trivia time. Who was Barbara Bennett? Ooh. I don't the know. She is the sister of a famous, famous actor. Oh, that that is currently working now. No, is dead. Well, tell us, Marlon Brando's sister. Oh shit! Yeah. She was the Red Book journalist. Yes. I think her name was Jocelyn Brando. Yeah. Oh, I didn't and know that. Did the did this article ever come out? <laughs> did, um, it, did it? it yeah, this no. Out? no. It was. <laughs> I don't know why they chose Red Book, but oh, yeah. everything you're saying is like. 
all the scenes you're talking about, I hear like at least a few times a week by all my old gay friends. <laughs> <laughs> like quotes from them. It's part it's like John Waters. It's part of it's part of our lexicon. Right. Yes, you know? I agree. You know, and I um it's, you know, rewatching this has been it was so delightful. I just had so much, so much fun rewatching it. So after Christina gets like beaten up, she <laughs> she's sent now off to Catholic school. Right. Meanwhile, Joan gets married to her third husband or her fifth husband, I don't know, Alfred, who's the executive of Pepsi. Uh-huh. And then jo- uh, Christina becomes a actress. She gets hurt at some point. <laughs> this is the best part. That's Christina's like weird. in a soap opera mm-hmm. where she's playing like somebody's Secret Storm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's playing somebody's um, wife. And then the producer of the show is like, well, now that Christine can't do it because she's in the hospital, we're going to have her mom play her. Right. <laughs> Which is like, very weird. my character, 27 years old. <laughs> no matter. Yes. No matter. And so um, eventually what happens is Joan dies penniless. Well, no, you're and- leaving out the other most important okay, scene, which is after her husband dies, she's like goes to the Pepsi oh, yes. and the, she's at oh. a boardroom with a bunch of Pepsi executives. And they're like, well, you owe us this money because, you know, your dude like leveraged things he shouldn't have because she wanted him to spend more money. Yada, yada. And they're like, we've removed your seat on the board. <laughs> David, what does she say? (laughs) (laughs) You think you're clever, don't you? Sweeping the poor widow under the... (laughs) (laughs) Don't fuck with me, fellas! Yes! (laughs) But like every single... Everything she says is just like... (laughs) Perfect. Yes! It's so... so good. Well, okay, then then you got she a movie dies. star right. to sell your soda pop. Right. Yes. <laughs> then she dies and, and leaves dies. Christina and Christopher nothing. Yes, on purpose because yes. she's a hateful. For reasons yes. that yes. are well known, known to, to them. them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is literally the line for all you listeners who, yes. who haven't seen this in a minute. So let's talk about this let's because do it. um first of all, that recap has probably been the my most favorite one we've done yes. so far because yes. it's just so full of good lines. And they're so easy to remember because I think, David, your point is um, it's just part of the lexicon. Like we all know mm-hmm. know yeah. these lines. And let's discuss a little bit about what makes it iconic, especially from your point of view, because you've done a lot of work around Joan and, and, and her life but um, or her, her impressions in the world. Uh, what is it that you love so much about this? Like when you first saw it versus now? Well, when I first saw it, I saw it in the theater. And I think it was the Esquire Theater on... Yeah, what was this, 81? I yes. think it's 81 when it came out. And when I saw it, I I was, oh, wow, this is horrible. You know, <laughs> this, this, this thing happened. And I didn't really, like, it didn't click because I was younger and it was before my camp senses were activated. And, um, but then it turned into this cult thing. And it, it just, uh, Faye Dunaway, her performance and the fact that it's every it's there's no redeeming qualities there's no <laughs> there's no like it's just diva 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 bitch 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 and it's the clothes and the so makeup. over the top and the lines are so iconic yeah. you know the boys and the booze yeah <laughs> i should have known that yeah. you'd know where the boys and the booze were yeah and, and just like when you polish the floor you have to move the tree yeah <laughs> 
just so many like if you're not gonna do something right then don't right. do it at all right and it's just i think it is it is fade on a way yeah um because she's just as crazy as Joan <laughs> is she? was. That's, oh, yes. that's what the, re- oh. the read was. Um, I also want to, to your point about it being a terrible movie, Roger Ebert. We Ebert, always love to I know, we love to up. bring him up. But one star. What? <laughs> one star. Well, you know, I think Faye Dunaway is really great in it. Yes. But there's, it was just edited. So it's yeah. just like explosion, 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 explosion. There was a scene where Christina ran away and Joan found her and took her and like they sat on the corner of the street and had a talk and she talked about being a little girl and it was cut from there were like a lot of scenes cut from the movie <laughs> like, to make is there it anything more, that's gonna explain this yeah, character yeah let's get it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah the only, the closest thing is on the beach and, you know, yeah where she mentions her mom being messy yeah, yeah well they she grew up in a laundry and her mother was like kind of shady and her they grew up in abject poverty she it was really, she had a really difficult life and her, her stepfather molested her when she was oh. in. And she learned how to survive and fight. You know? Yeah, you get none of that in the movie. Yeah. Be, I, I mean, she was the fact, Madonna of her time. <laughs> I was going to say, even when Greg is talking to her about her past, he's like, you used to be this young shop girl. Yeah. But now you're not that shop girl anymore. You're just old. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, <laughs> and you're nothing but a rotten, crooked lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> that just keeps the grease in the wheels. And it's just so over the top, and it is perfect for, for gay culture. I mean, Sidetrack, this very popular, it's one of the most popular gay bars in the country. It's a video bar. They used they still play the strangulation scene. <laughs> Why can't you give me the respect I that I deserve? There's dance mixes. And, and it's still young gays may not know who Joan Crawford is, but they think Joan Crawford is Faye Dunaway. Nice. Oh, that's and so it for me that movie was sort of a gateway into exploring Joan Crawford. Did you find it relatable as a young gay person? I mean, I, I'm curious, like, how did that get to stick in the world of the gay culture? You know, because there's not any gay characters, obviously. Um, there's there's no dancing. Cher's <laughs> <laughs> not in it. Cher's not in it. I'm not sure what the appeal is. <laughs> um, I think uh, Joan was always a big, Joan Crawford herself and that film were always, the reason she had, maybe not as much anymore but the reason gay people love her is because she made herself from nothing and she fought and she did it her way and she became she created herself and people derided her and she she had a really hard time because she was a woman and people treated her not well and, and people like her and Betty Davis oh, I love fought Betty Davis. fought and um she 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 willed herself a star. She just like bent steel, right. and pe- and gay people can relate to that because of all the hardships and the bullshit we go through, especially like the older generation when it wasn't like you could oh, come yes. out when you were ten, right? You know, and and it, it was very difficult for me in Northwest Indiana growing up. You know, I got out of there as soon as I could and moved to Chicago. What was that like for you? Oh, it was mean. People were mean. 
yeah. yeah. Were you were you openly gay or were you like hiding it? I mean, my, um, my kids like to say masking. 18. 18 years old is when I, well, I could never mask it. Yeah. Because I was. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm just too gay. <laughs> yeah. People knew I was gay when I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> And I would hear my parents talking, what's wrong with him? You know, and it was like very traumatic of for course. me. Of course, yeah. And um, so it was just no use in hiding it because in high school people were, before I came out, people would make fun of me or or that kind of bull, bullshit. But that's what made me sort of like Joan, yeah. where I come from the generation where I had to, defend myself with my with my sharp wit and withering put downs and so it kind of like the old bitchy queen I had to really work to get out of that mode and I didn't get out of it until just a few years ago <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't working for me anymore and I, it wasn't necessary and I'm like why are people thinking I'm so like the wicked queen from Snow White or, and it, it just it affects you when you're constantly like people would call me faggot on the on the bus, like I didn't like not not just hey faggot move yeah you know like and I I couldn't hide it and right. so I came out when I was about nine, eighteen or nineteen and my mom wasn't thrilled even though like what are you an idiot you don't know that I'm gay she just didn't want she didn't want to accept it and so it was really difficult yeah. and so with Joan it was just like yeah well you know fuck you I'm Joan Crawford and it's just I don't know it's like that and John Waters and oh I love John certain Waters people too. certain people I just I gravitated to. I wonder um, when you were mentioning that you have have ceased to being such a bitchy queen. Um, <laughs> well, as you know, I was like, I feel like we could probably push it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what what made you decide to have this kind of shift in attitude? Because um, you know, I'm 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 a head of a theater company, and I just it just was exhausting for me. Yeah. You know, and I was holding on to like a lot of that that um my my go-to defense mechanisms and I'm like, "Wait a minute. I'm I don't need to do this anymore. I kind of people know me. They know my work and I don't need to I'm trying, you know. I've always been a deep down like a hooker with a heart of gold. Like appearing rough on the outside, but I've always been nice. But some people, they don't like that. And like, people are a lot more, that that doesn't fly as much anymore. Like certain people, <laughs> get it, you know, it's funny and, and everything. You pointed but, at us, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say that Elizabeth and I both probably deeply identify with yeah. what you're saying because I feel like in the past, I don't know, what did you say, like five years that we've both been sort of like kind of uncovering parts of our personality. I think COVID was probably the big part. Yeah, because I think both of us have been forced to be really tough and like real, like we're single parents, like, you know, divorced, like that we've had to yeah, be yeah, like survivors. and. Yeah. And even just this week, I like had this like talk with my therapist and like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but like I came away from it and Elizabeth texted me later and I was like, listen, just like, you know, thinking about my young Adrian and how I was probably a very sensitive, like sweet kid, but I had to like build up this whole like bombastic self 
to right. get me through until this point. And so I feel like I've also been sort of like trying to dismantle the things that like people experience about me that are sort of loud. And like <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think we're talking about things like how we can't cope with anything that's like painful, right? Right. So like if you, if something terrible happens to you, the reaction is I'm not going to fucking cry. No one's going to see me cry, right. you know, or like that you can't like hold space for yourself. Like you're able to hold space for lots of other people, right? but you have to build some kind of wall for yourself to yeah. deal with that, um, which is a great uh, like segue into the idea of like parenting, mm. which is, you know, we talk about with this film, Adrian grew up with an alcoholic mother. I don't I know. Did. <laughs> I did everybody. So did I. <laughs> oh, yeah. <good. laughs> Why don't you guys talk about a little bit about that? <laughs> Why don't we, Dave? Yes, I want to hear, I want to hear more. No, because I do, I do think that that has a lot of, you know, I think my kids probably feel like they grew up with an alcoholic mother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, that's part of the, the, the gruffness with me and it, and it's sort of, I grew up in a very chaotic household and one day it was wonderful and the next day it was horrifying mm -hmm. and I'm the oldest of four and, um, I would have to protect these kids mm -hmm. yeah. and take them in a room and, you know, I used to, that's when Walkmans were around and my baby sister I'd put the Walkman on so she wouldn't have to hear things mm -hmm. and and it basically the way I dealt with it was my whole 20s I drank yeah a lot yeah and that's why I didn't start being creative or doing anything until my like mid 30s mm -hmm. and um so that that whole it's like you don't even want to go into this, but it's just like on the layers and layers and layers when you think, oh, you know, I got sober and I'm like, oh, I'm doing well. And but then all of a sudden, like, the yeah. deal comes like, Argh. yeah. And it's like, oh, I have to deal with this. Yeah. And I don't want to. Yeah. You know, and Joan, I think Joan is, uh, yeah, she had severe trauma mm -hmm. and um, she drank. Mm -hmm. That's how she dealt with it. Right. And I do believe she, she was an alcoholic. And I think she had good intentions. And I always tell people when they ask me what I think of the book, I think a lot of the book is a little like bullshit. But I do believe she was abusive. Uh, but if I wrote a, if we wrote books about our mothers, all the stuff they did, <laughs> it would be probably with my mind, it would be like, oh my God, are yeah. you okay? Yeah. You well, know. you know, it's interesting, like what you're talking about, generational trauma. I feel like that's only something that's even been in our lexicon in the last, mm -hmm. like, you know, decade where people are really talking about, like, I don't know if you guys watch Succession. I'm really into Succession. But when people talk about it, I'm like, this is a show about generational trauma, about people just passing on abuse over and over again and then watching how it's playing out in their relationships around them, you know, Um I mean, my mom was a very boring alcoholic, which I think is probably, if you're going to grow up that way, perhaps, you know, the best way to do it. Though what you're saying about one day being it this way and then it's that way and then it's this way, I, ex I identify with that a lot. And you're always like, yeah, always right. on your toes. Yeah. And so I always now 
I'm looking for like safe, placid, like I like to know what to expect. I mean, like for sure because of that. Um, and Elizabeth will tell you, like when we first started becoming close friends, she, like she was really good at like being perceptive of like what I would need to like do things that I was uncomfortable doing, like riding bicycles or whatever. Like she would make the environment and then I'd be like, okay, I'm safe. I can do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but my experience of that alcoholism was really about like being ignored and spending like my whole childhood um, like with like because my dad was a huge codependent and he was just like, you know, literally off like um, needle pointing religious art and doing like a lot of just like random like collecting brass candlesticks like he was off gardening doing things and this chick was asleep and then well passed out. <laughs> Asleep. Right, and there I was. Like like, when Joan was drunk on the couch. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) What's wrong with her? That was slightly triggering because there were definitely times. I was wondering if that was going to like flip you out a little bit. It didn't flip me out, but there were, it's like like seeing like. Like I definitely remember there were times that like my brother and I were like, um, you need to call an ambulance. Like mom is like not responsive. And my dad not only didn't really tell us what was going on. I mean, it was very just like, no, it's fine. But like when someone doesn't explain to you what's going on, and, it cr- and you're a kid, it creates a lot of sense of unsafety and like mm-hmm. unease because, you know, like on TV, if Claire Huxtable was passed out, somebody might call an ambulance. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I definitely didn't understand, like, at the time. Yeah, I think that whole ignoring thing is like a big deal, right? Like when you're talking about these, it's because your parents are being so involved in what they want and what they need and what they're like concerned about or their pain. Um, I think this movie does do a really great job in talking about like the entitlement that certain generations of parents had. Mm -hmm. You know, I am the parent. You don't get to question my decisions. Oh, yeah. You don't get to ask questions. And when I tell you to do something, you do it. That's how I grew up, 100%. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I was definitely, Same. yeah, I think that's probably true of our parents' generation of parenting methods. It's just that they were just like, you are a child and you have no value. And I, this has been very interesting to me to watch Mommy Dearest in the um, in the uh, foreground of kind of watching this whole thing happen in Tennessee. Have you been watching this thing in Tennessee? Yes. Watching these 7,000 students, for the listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, this last week, seven over 7,000 students, uh, like, walked out of class to coordinate. Two, I have two, I raised two kids, right? Mm-hmm. To get two kids out of the door is <laughs> <laughs> a fucking nightmare. There's no, like, there's no, there's, it takes yeah, forever. It's, like, so hard. Um, so the fact that 7,000 plus kids, and I think the, the top number was 10, but let's just say seven for the story um, that they all coordinated a full walkout of every school to be like, we are sick of being scared in school to me was like so wonderful and so strong. And it made me think like as a parent of people who are now these ages that like, I listen to my children Mm-hmm. Because they have something to say, yeah, and they have something important to say, and mm-hmm. we need to pay attention, right? Like we need to be here to like guide them and move them forward in life and give them tools to be the people that they need to be. In the case of Mommy Dearest, <laughs> it was just a constant <laughs> reminder of like children ain't shit. Like well, no one Christina cares. was an accessory. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and I think that that's also kind of a basis of like this entitled parenting that really leaves you in a space where you're as when you become an adult you're kind of like no one cares about me everything that I want or, or think about is bullshit and I'm just gonna have to like work this job and I really relate to you David about like being able to finally find your creative space when you're older I mean me and Adrian talk about this all the time 
Well, I was definitely wanted to go into theater, but I was too. I've signed up for the classes and I've dropped out of college after the first year. But I was I signed up for the class and I would I didn't go because I was too terrified. Oh. I was like, oh. I'm, nobody's gonna want it. Not and I'm writing. You know, I watch Saturday Night Live and the and back in the day, go, I get I drug. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> and it was just so sad. You know, it was just like. Well, how did you get over it? Like, get over that, like, block and start. I mean, you're very successful. Like I said, I have seen a lot of Chicago theater, and I'm not kidding. This was my favorite theater experience ever, ever. I mean, like, literally, I was like, Elizabeth, go make friends with David. I was Uh, like, I'm too starstruck. um, I think it's really the only reason you came to Printer's Row, actually. She pretended it was me. Probably. My life is camp, for real. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my story about with my family one day, but um, I grew up. I came out in nineteen what eighty, and so when AIDS started, mm-hmm. and so basically the the short short story is I thought I had AIDS and I was going to die, and I went to the doctor and I was like really excited to get benefits and party, and when he told me <laughs> that's how I thought, <laughs> yay. <laughs> And when I found out I was negative, which is a miracle, um, that's when I had to come come to Jesus moment. And I was like, I guess I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, that's that's like like a Douglas Sirk film, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's when I started thinking that maybe I was worthwhile, and that maybe I had some value. And it's just a slow journey. Yeah. It's, you know, it just amazes me when I meet kids that are like, my parents are my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> what? We have a friend, our friend Kim, um, who we love and adore, but she, like, is always hanging out with her parents. Uh, and I'm just like, what is this? My mom doesn't even know that I left the house. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> She's just been like, kid, what kid? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, what were we talking about? Mommy Jarrah's. Yes. Well, no, I, I think we were talking about, you know, um, being, this actually, you know, again, sex way is right to the next se- subject, which is like, as we're older and we're growing and we didn't start like a creative, uh, like a, a commitment to creative life until like later on in, in, in our years. Adrian started when, you started younger though. Yeah, I was. I mean, I, you were, for you a lot were good a, that it's a done. Nineties sitcom, right? Eighties yeah. sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> I started like pursuing writing when I was like twenty-five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't start doing anything creative till I was I was probably about forty. Okay. So you know, watching being an older person and kind of like pursuing these creative dreams. Um, here's my question that I, I wrote. I wrote this one down. It's very serious. As we are aging, how urgent does it feel to share our creative dreams, and why is it so important? Even though we're gonna just die, <laughs> um, because if if you feel if if you feel that you have something to say, you should say it because you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life. And I try not to think like, oh my god, I'm X amount years old, <laughs> and twenty five. Yes, uh, and I have like what twenty five good years left or something, and. Um, I try not to think that. I just like 
do what I can. And, you know, it's funny. It's this success is for me. I'm like, I'm always like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. You know, I have friends that are like, oh, I wrote a spec script for blah, blah. And I'm doing this and I have an agent. And I'm like, <laughs> I haven't even been published yet. And people are like, what do you mean you're not published? I'm like, well, I would have to proofread everything. <laughs> I still put up barriers for myself. And it's, I I can't explain why, you yeah. know. We Pe- can. I feel like I 100% identify with this. So does Elizabeth. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot. Like, not to make this about me, David. but No, please do. <laughs> I wrote a book. I got an agent. It took me a very long time. I mean, like almost a year. Finally got an agent. The book is now finally on submission. And my agent- I, I always love when Adrian's like, it took us a very long time to get an agent. And it was less than a year. Okay, it but also, I, as we already established. But to decide to get an agent. Like, yeah. the, it took you a long time to yeah. like do it. Well, I wrote the book for like years. Yeah, took, yeah it took a couple and years. And then, you know, it took a long time for the agents to anyway. <laughs> The point being, Elizabeth and I are at lunch yesterday. My agent calls and she's like, people love your writing. We're not, some are not so sure about the book. And I was like, oh, great. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was like a fine call. Like Elizabeth Mm -hmm. keeps trying to reframe it. I like the way she talks. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was not, she was like, we're going to keep trying. Don't worry about it. But like, you need to write another book. Mm. And I'm like, like, what the man I already wrote this one and I had already been sort of struggling with starting again I think because you know how hard it's going to be or you know that there's rejection to face or you know like when you have that information like it is Elizabeth always talks about she's like well I wouldn't even try because <laughs> that's, that's my wall right. you can like, always quit right. yeah. like, I'm always like I'm a pretty good writer but I'll just stay right here right she's like I don't want anyone to say anything to me right. don't and tell me that I'm bad listen I respect that because having people say this shit to you sucks yeah and then you get the Joan Crawford face about with the grass stain yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, mm. but I feel like I need a little more Joan in me right now that's just like fuck all of you fuck you fellas like (laughs) like this is what we're gonna do everybody sit up you know but I do think that being a creative most of the roadblocks are your own that you're well I mean the agents the publishers this shit sucks but like creating the work producing it that's all me setting up problems all the time yeah well and just in Mommy Dearest, when she was let go, she wasn't let go. She quit mm-hmm. the studio because the scripts were so bad. She was yeah. getting all these horrible movies. And she quit and she waited until she got good scripts. And then she did like the, the uh, all these other films like... Um, Mildred Paris. Mm, yeah. Mildred, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then she won an Oscar. Yeah, that one. I'm like, duh, humoresque <laughs> and, you know... Like, she she did it because she's like fuck this I'm gonna like create my own path and my own destiny right and I think that's why her Betty her and Betty Davis did not Betty Davis hated her uh, because they were so much alike but Joan was more glamorous and I think Betty wanted that and Betty was a more respected actress and I think Joan wanted that right I think every every side you're ever on you want the other thing I mean one of the things that Adrian and I always talk about is you know 
I'm very DIY, like punk rock. Like, mm-hmm. like they don't publish your book, then you just fucking publish it, and we'll just like move. You know, we'll move into because by the way, we're pretty good at like we would be powerhouses when it comes to like marketing and <laughs> and moving things yeah. forward, which is basically what you need, right? So it's like. You know, but then for Adrian, she she's also she's the opposite of that. She tends to want to have more validity by these other people saying like this is important, like you got to move it forward. Well, there's that, but way. also I want to be paid. I mean, that's right. just the right. truth of it. Like, for sure, mm-hmm. I, I want like I love DIY stuff, but you know, like we produce this podcast, we pay for it, right. like Elizabeth and I do. You know, like we do a lot of our creative endeavors. Um, just because we're doing them. And I'm like, at this point, it's been a long time. So, David, tell us how you got paid. <laughs> how did um, you set this up? <laughs> Can you're we just rolling you? in money, right? Can you're we work like, yes. for you? <laughs> well, you know, we've been together. Handbags have been around for 21 years. And I got to the point about six years ago where I was just like, I can't do this for free anymore. Yeah. I can't. It's so time consuming. Mm-hmm. And we're... At, the bigger we get, I felt like the little red hen, you know, like everybody wanted to eat the bread, but mm-hmm. they didn't want to help make it. And I'm not saying that nobody does anything, but whenever you have a group of people, and especially in non equity theater in Chicago, they're not getting paid a lot at all. And you can't blame them. They have to work and do other things. And so it was always just me and the same group of people who were doing things. And I was starting to get resentful, and I was like, I, I'm not going to do this if it makes me angry or makes me resentful. And so we got, I got the board to approve a salary, a livable salary. and um, Good. Yeah. Yes, that's great. Yeah, and it was, it's tough. And there are times when it's like, well, maybe you're not going to get paid this month, mm-hmm. but we'll, but um. You know, especially now, it's very, very tough because COVID sort of just like decimated right, right. us. And you know, even though it's not as a big a concern anymore, people are still, they'll go, they won't go out if it's a little cold, if it's a little <laughs> rainy, if it's a little yeah. this. <laughs> and we're just, the show we're doing now, we're just starting to pick up houses and it, like audience members. And we're so like, oh God. Well, yeah. tell us about the show you're doing now. Oh, thanks. It's called. No, we want to know. <laughs> yes, it's from. It's called. I promised myself to live faster, Ooh. and it is an amazing show from Pig Iron Theater in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That JD Cadell, uh, one of our ensemble members, they found it, and um, it's a sort of it's a space age queer extravaganza Ooh. about depression about hiding who you are and finding yourself and the title says says it all he he you have to go for it and he broke up in a relationship and he's visited by three space nuns <laughs> who take him to outer space because he is the chosen one to save the holy gay flame oh i love it i love it and yeah and i'm a closeted evil villain very much like ming the merciless and flash gordon Ooh. i love flash gordon yeah that well was, then that was you, a you, you both have to come to this show Where wait is it in philadelphia or is it here no it's, no, it's here. here it's okay. at the chopin oh at the show oh i, I love, love the chopin yeah. oh yeah we're basement. definitely going we're definitely going Yes, because it's by that, you know, that pasta place I really want to go <laughs> to. Where? Tor- what? What's it Torchy, called? Torshu, Torshi. Horshu. Tor something. Uh, I don't know. Torchetta. Let's, uh, <laughs> we're going to have to wrap up. So I have one more question for you and then we'll go into our final thoughts. Okay. But my last question to you, I don't know if you know this, but Adrian and I are on a mission to lift middle-aged voices. Yeah. 
Yes. That's the whole purpose of our podcast. I think I'm a little past middle age. You're super young, David. Yes, I'm going to live to be 120. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why do you think it's important for us to have voices? So, like, I think I keep thinking about this in terms of like, you know, longevity and the importance of teaching. Because I do think that, like, especially as a parent, we want to pass things on to like encourage people to stay on the right, like, kind of the right. Not right path. I don't want to say that, but kind of say that was very Christian of you. Yeah, it was like to 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 be able to kind of see things through the lens of history. Maybe Mm -hmm. is probably the best way of saying that. Like you know, we now have all this experience and we're looking back, and so I feel like that's why we should be able to be artists and be in films. And (laughs) well, I can tie this back to the theme. Oh, yay! Um, (laughs) I I think it's really important for us to to have voices because I think we were taught. To shut up. <laughs> That's Snaps. definitely true. Snaps and, and, and like you know, whenever I would say something, my like a lot of time. Oh, yeah, just go back to your TV show or read your, you know, like. Um, and I totally agree about passing on for traditions, and that's why Helen a Handbag, our theater company, it we camp and parody campiness. It's a LGBTQIA art form. It was a secret language we used to communicate a long time ago. And the fact that I turn, I show somebody who Joan Crawford is or who Jane Mansfield is or who, like, you know, what it was like to be gay and blah, blah, blah times, people need to know that. Right. These young younger kids need to know that. And they need to know their queer history and they need to know that it wasn't always like this and they need to know, hear the different language and the different, you know, some things they might find offensive, but we've gotten away with a lot of stuff because of the way we frame it. And we're not, we, we're passing the, the the gay camp flame onto the youngins. And it's really nice we'll have like Sixty year old, seventy year old people, men and women, gay people, and like twenties. You know, we've had teenagers that come see shows together, and they're all laughing together. I love that. And we create allies too. The Golden Girls is an amazing. We do the Golden Girls parody show. I've also seen you do that. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm like, I gotta go out to one of these David Serta productions. And the, you know, the 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 people that come together. It's just amazing. So, yeah, it's really important that you hear our voices, too. And sometimes we say the stupid things and wrong things like everybody else, but it promotes discussion. Uh, My heart's, like, all fluttered. I'm like, I love this. I I think it's so important. I think history matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think looking back at where you come from is so part of your development to understand how you're going to move forward, you know. So this is... David, you're the best. Oh, thank yes. you. All right, final thoughts. Adrian. What? Would you recommend Mommy Dearest to anyone? Uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> yes. Well, everyone should see it at least once. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a movie that you would recommend that's similar if, if you like Mommy Dearest? I don't know that I do, but I would love to hear David tell us what other camp genre movies that people should should watch in on their day of camp. <laughs> on your day of camp. Yeah. Well, a Joan Crawford movie that is perfectly matched to Mommy Dearest, it's called Tort Song. 
It's from the 50s, and it was her return to MGM, and it's her first like big color movie, and she plays Jenny Stewart, a Broadway star, Ooh. who takes no guff, and she's so tough and lonely, and then she meets a blind pianist. <laughs> 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 and slowly, things begin to happen, yes. but... They're, they're like Mommy Dearest lines in that. Yeah. And she's like, mean, 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 mean. <laughs> um, the other one, my favorite campy movie is Female Trouble. And it's oh, sort of I like on, pur- on purpose camp. But there's so many. Um, yeah. I can't even. Give us some would, John Waters ones. That's Female Trouble. Oh, yeah. Female Trouble. Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Hairspray. I love I love I love um, Cry Baby. My, one of my favorite movie yeah. lines from that movie is like, Cry Baby. You're such a cry baby. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say um, the Rosalind Russell Annie Mame is camp? Yeah, because that's yeah. one of my top favorite movies. It's a yeah. little maybe too earnest to be full camp. Well, but real camp doesn't and in, isn't intentionally campy like right. Valley of the Dolls. Right, Valley oh, of the Dolls is legendary. One. Yes, you know Patty Duke. I hosted a screening. Uh, with uh, Patty Duke, Valley of the Dolls, and Music Box, and she hated the movie for years yeah. until the gay community made her realize that it had value and it was hilarious. Yeah. and wow. I did. I've done Mommy Dearest yeah. screenings, and if you can ever see Mommy Dearest on the full big screen, it's a different movie. It's even more like her face, face. Yeah. Oh my god. Because it takes up the whole screen. It's like yeah. <gasps> give her all the Oscars. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, this has been so great. So, it's Thank been you. so fun. Oh. So, um, everyone, thanks for listening to Don't Ruin This For Me. Special thanks to the Lincoln Lodge and our producer, Christine Ferreira, and our graphic designer, Jessica Savage. David, where can our listeners find you? Handbagproductions.org. Or, and I'm on Facebook, too. David Serta, C-E-R-D, as in dog. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if we're friends yet, but... I'm, I we're going to make we, it happen. We should be. I uh, may have already stalked you and tried Elizabeth to Elizabeth and I are friends. Oh, okay. well, then I probably. think you like Pedro, what's Pascal? his name? Pedro yeah. Pascal. You think. It's so hot. She definitely <laughs> does. Hey, are you guys looking for even more Adrian and Elizabeth? <gasps> yes. <laughs> if so, you can check out our Substack newsletter. Mine is called Where the Fuck's My Happy Ending? And Elizabeth's is called Mixed Race Tape. And you can follow the pod on Instagram at Don't Ruin This Pod. And come back next week for 9 to 5, another iconic film starring Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda. We're also going to have special guest Dina Nina Martinez. Oh, shit. Who just won her aldermanic uh, election. She just ran in Madison, what? Wisconsin. First trans woman to be an alder met, I, in I, Dane, I, I yeah, Dane County. Yeah, isn't that exciting? She's fucking hilarious. First. I know, I'm so proud of her, yeah. so proud of her. Yeah, cannot wait. And, you know, as we've said, don't forget to elevate middle-aged women's voices and, you know, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, David. Thank you. I love being here. Oh, this was so fun. <laughs>